Today we are concluding our escape room series in which we've looked at ways that God helps us escape from difficult situations in our lives. We've talked about how God helps us escape from overwhelming worry. We've talked about how God has helped us escape from envy and living a meaningless life. We've talked about how God has, helps us escape from temptation. And so if you missed any of these, these messages are on our website. We'd love for you to check that out, southportchurch.com. We've talked about how God has helped the people in the Bible escape from amazing situations. To the people of Israel who were enslaved in Egypt for hundreds of years, how God led them out using uh, Peter Moses, uh, as we find in the book of Exodus in the Old Testament. We've talked about uh, Esther and, and her cousin Mordecai and how God again saved the people of Israel from destruction and, and uh, annihilation. And so we've looked at all kinds of ways that God has helped us escape both in our lives and also in the Bible. And this series has kind of been overlapped with the phenomenon in America and actually the world uh, in which uh, people pay money to go into these things called escape rooms. They're themed rooms. Sometimes they're Western or murder mysteries or outer space. But you have uh, a group of people that you like to hang out with. They lock you in a room. You have to solve these puzzles. And if you're successful, you get to the next room and on and on until finally you escape. So I was reading some this week, and I found out that when people do escape rooms, the number of people who can actually get through that one of those rooms is about 30%, right? So about 3 out of 10 people are actually able to escape. So that means 7 out of 10 don't make it. Here's a picture of some of those folks who did not make it. Um, and you can see they have signs that say, I was stupid, <laughs> right? It's somebody else's fault. It's not my fault that I was not able to escape. So these folks are pretty good sports. They didn't make it out of the escape room in time, but I'm sure they still had a lot of fun. I've done some of these escape rooms, and uh, sometimes I didn't get out. Sometimes I did. So it, if you've never done it, it's something that you might want to check out. But knowing that only 30% escape and 70% do not, I, I, I've been wondering, and I think this is something that you might think about too as well in your life. We've talked about how God helps us escape from situations, how God helped people from the Bible escape from situations. But what happens when there is no escape. What happens when we pray really hard and we ask for God to give us a way out, but it doesn't happen, right, in our own lives? We, we, we see it in the Bible, right? We talked about how God rescued the people of Israel from slavery to Egypt, right? They led them out with Moses. But, you know, before God did that, the people in Israel were trapped there as slaves for hundreds of years, Generation after generation were born into slavery. They had to do physical labor. They were whipped and they were killed. Right? Where was God then? Why did God not help the people of Israel escape before then? Right? In the Bible, Jesus does all these amazing miracles of healing people. And one of them, he goes and he heals a man by a pool called Bethsaida. And this man is, is lame. He's not able to walk. And Jesus tells him to get up and to walk. But I was talking with Pastor Lindsay about this, and, 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 you know, she had a great question, and I think it's a good question, too. It's like, how many people did Jesus walk by at the pool who were there wanting to be healed, and he didn't heal them? And how do you think they felt, right? This guy gets healed. We've been coming here every day, every month, every year, and here's Jesus, and he chooses this guy to heal and not me. What about people who are good Christian people who lived in Florida this week? And they prayed to God, God, protect us from Hurricane Ian, protect my home, protect my family, protect my city. 
right? But the hurricane came and it knocked down houses, it busted up boats, and, and many people lost their lives. And I'm guessing some of them were Christian people who followed Jesus asking for an escape, and the escape never came. There are people who follow Jesus today who live in the Ukraine, and they're praying that they will not die, but before the day is over, they will die today as a casualty of war. What about them when they don't get an escape? Or people that you know in your life who have been diagnosed with a terminal illness and you've prayed for them and they're good Christian people and they die anyway, right? Or you lost your job or your marriage falls apart or you didn't get the, the, the accepted into the college of your choice, right? What happens when we're good Christian people, we follow Jesus, we ask for an escape and it doesn't come? What do we do when there's no escape? And how do we justify that by having faith in a God who helps some people escape and evidently not others? We're going to wrestle with that today. So thank you for being here. Thank you for being bold. This is not an easy subject. And I don't have an easy answer. I'll just go ahead and warn you, but we're going to explore this together. Late last month, we had a funeral in our family for a young man named Jeff when Jeff was in the womb, the umbilical cord of his mother got wrapped around his neck. And so when he was born, he was born with a condition called cerebral palsy, which basically said that as long as Jeff was alive, he's going to be confined to a wheelchair, not having the use of his arms, not having the use of his legs. Right, he could use his hand a little bit. He could maybe kick his leg at some point, but that uh, he was going to be trapped in that wheelchair. And he was not going to be able to not going to be able to speak like I'm speaking to you now. He was going to be able to talk, but it's going to be very hard to understand what he had to say. And so as long as he lived, his parents would have to spoon feed him every spoon or, or, or every bite of food from a meal. Every time he had to go to the bathroom, they either had to change his diaper or when he grew up to be older and to be a young man, they had to take him, put him on the toilet, wipe him, or if he, they didn't get him there in time to change this grown man's mess, right? Good Christian people. What did this young man do to deserve it? Absolutely nothing. It happened in the womb, right? There was no escape for him, right? No escape for his family, right? They, they still believe. They still worship God. They still love God. And he lived, he was supposed to live only at most 13 years. He did live a lot longer. I'm going to talk about that in just a minute. But just in my life, and I'm guessing in your life, you know of some very difficult situations where people are good and they are Christian and they love Jesus and they pray for an escape from something happening in their life and it doesn't come. How do we deal with that? How do we wrestle with that? How do we make sense of that? Now, there is some good news for us and, and we believe that at the end of this life, right, if things haven't been made right in this life, that we have the promise of heaven. Right, we see that in Scripture. There's a couple of places I want to show you today. First, from the last book of the Bible, the book of Revelation, it says this. Right, this is the end of time where good has defeated evil. Jesus has come back. And, and it says this, I heard a loud voice from the throne of God saying, Look, God's dwelling place is now among the people, and he will dwell with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain. For the old order of things has passed away, right? Heaven is going to be amazing, right? And from Jesus himself, this comes to us from the New Testament Gospel of Luke. This is when Jesus is dying on a cross, 
And he's saying to the thief next to him who's called out to Jesus to save him. This is what Jesus says. He answered him, truly I tell you today you will be with me in paradise. We will die on these crosses and today you will be with me in paradise, right? So as followers of Jesus, we have the hope that if things don't go well in this life, if we don't escape bad circumstances in this life, that we have heaven to look forward to. And it's beautiful and it's wonderful and God will, will make everything right. And I, I imagine in my mind Jeff, this member of our family who was confined to that wheelchair and he couldn't communicate and, and he went through all these hard times in his life that he's in heaven right now and he's running as fast as he can and he's basking in the, in the glow of heaven and, and all the people there. And it's just a, it's a beautiful thing that we have to look forward to, that heaven will make things right. I believe that. But it still doesn't take away the pain of this life for people who are trapped and they can't escape and they're abused and they're raped and they're killed and they're tortured and they they die of painful illnesses right this world matters too if it didn't matter God wouldn't have created us right he created us to live in this life he said I came to give you life to the full in this life as well as in the life to come so how do we make sense when good God followers do everything right. They pray, they love God, and some of us escape and some of us don't. How do we deal with that? So we got to keep looking in the Scripture for this, right? We're going to go to the Old Testament now, and we're going to be about 500 years before Jesus was born. The people of Israel have been conquered by, uh, by another nation, the nation of Babylon. Babylonians have come in, and, and they just they annihilated Israel. They knocked down the place where they worship. They knocked down their capital. They took a bunch of people into captivity into Babylon. They took all the best and brightest of the, of the Israeli children, right? They, they took the kids and they moved them to Babylon and they began to raise them as Babylonians. And they put them to work in Babylon and they changed their names from, from Israeli names into Babylonian names. And, and so that's where we're going to pick up the story today in the book of Daniel, and the ruler of Babylon is a king named Nebuchadnezzar. And he wants the people of Israel to worship the Babylonian gods that are not real. And he's erected a statue of gold. And he says, I want you to worship this statue. But, but three of these Israeli children who've grown up to be young men are now working for the Babylonians. And they, they've been renamed from their Israeli names into Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. You may have heard this as, as kids, right? Right? They've been renamed in Babylonian names. They wanna, they're trying to indoctrinate people into the Babylonian culture. Right? It would be kind of like if we in the southern United States had taken over somewhere and we brought somebody in. We renamed them Bubba and Mac and Big Jim, right? So they renamed them. Right? There's got to be some, some humor in today's message, right? Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and said, you've got to worship these, these gods. Right? So let's see what happens. At this time, some astrologers came forward and denounced the Jews. They said to King Nebuchadnezzar, May the king live forever. Your majesty has issued a decree that everyone who hears the sound of the horn, the flute, the zither. Katie Ann, can we hear the zither sometime in worship? I'd love to hear what a zither is, right? The lyre, the harp, the pipe, and all kinds of music must fall down and worship the image of gold. And that whoever does not fall down and worship will be thrown into a blazing furnace, right? The fiery furnace. 
But there's some Jews whom you have set over the affairs of the province of Babylon. Maybe they're a little jealous. You put these Jews in charge of stuff, and they're not even doing what they're supposed to be doing. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who pay no attention to you, your majesty. They neither serve your gods nor worship the image of gold you have set up. Did you know that? Right? Some tattletales here. Furious with rage, Nebuchadnezzar summoned Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. So these men were brought before the king, and Nebuchadnezzar said to them, Is it true, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that you do not serve my gods or worship the image of gold that I have set up? Right? I put you in the authority. I put you in, in power, and this is how you repay me? Now when you hear the sound of the horn, flute, zither, lyre, harp, pipe, and all kinds of music, if you are ready to fall down and worship the image I made, very good. But if you do not worship it, you will be thrown immediately into a blazing furnace. Then what God will be able to rescue you from my hand? Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego replied to him, King Nebuchadnezzar, we do not need to defend ourselves before you in this matter. They are bold young men. If we are thrown into the blazing furnace, the God we serve is able to deliver us from it, and he will deliver us from your majesty's hand. Now, check out this last verse. This is the verse that gets me every time. But even if he does not rescue us, we want you to know, your majesty, that we will not serve your gods or worship the image of gold that you have set up. Don't miss how powerful this is. They said God can save us. He can rescue us. He can give us an escape. But even if he doesn't, we're not going to worship this gold. We will worship him because he is worthy of our worship. Now, you have to understand that in the history of Israel right now, there's a good chance that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego didn't know about heaven. They didn't know about the afterlife. The, the concept has not fully been shared with the people, right? So it's not like them saying, you know what, you can throw us in the fiery furnace, we're going to heaven, right? They don't know about heaven, right? So they get thrown in the fiery furnace, in their mind, it's over, right? So they're like, God can save us, but even if he doesn't, even if we burn up now and this is the end of our life, we still love God. That's amazing faith right there, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And honestly, folks, I pray that God gives me that faith. And there are a lot of days that I have that faith. But there are days that that faith wavers. And I just wonder if I'd been in their spot, not knowing about heaven, right, knowing that God could rescue me, but he didn't. Wow, how could I still have the faith that they had? Now, if you know the story, God saves them, right? And then there's a fourth person that shows up in the fire and it's supposed to be Jesus and all that kind of stuff happens but they don't know that when they come to this verse. Right? If you remember back in the story of Esther, where Esther had to make a decision to go before her husband, the king, do you remember what she said? She's like, okay, if I go before the king when I'm not summoned, I could die, right? And she says to her cousin, right, pray for me, let's fast. She's like, I'm going to go before the king. And she says what? If I perish, I perish. Right? And Esther didn't have a sense of heaven either, right? So she's like, if I die, and I die, then, then it's it. But I'm still going to be faithful to God. This is amazing faith. People who have faith even when there's no escape. Even when they didn't even know about heaven, right? That is, how do they get that faith? 
How can we get that faith? We're good Christians. We follow Jesus. We know there's heaven, but there's still suffering in our life. We pray for that suffering to be lifted. It doesn't happen. People we love die. People we love get sick. People we love raped, abused. How can we still say, I love and serve this God who helps some escape but not others, apparently? And we're going to have to go to the New Testament now. We're going to go to the book of Romans. We're going to see what a man named Paul wrote. Paul was a first century pastor. He started a lot of churches in the Mediterranean world. He wrote most of the New Testament. And he's writing to some Christians who live in Rome. And at this time, it's not safe to be a Christian. You could die for being a Christian. And so some Christians are being persecuted, like Paul himself. He's in prison a lot of times. He ends up being killed because of his faith. And he's writing to Christians who are going through a very difficult situation just because they have faith in God. This is what Paul says in the book of Romans. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? And I want you to think about right now. Where do you feel trapped in your life? Where have you had no escape in your life? Where are you struggling right now to find God, right? What what is it that's tearing your life up where there's no escape? Who shall separate us from the love of of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it's written, for your sake we face death all day long. We could die because of our faith. We're considered as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I'm convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all of creation, right? War, abuse, cancer, AIDS, right? Whatever it is that we're going through in our lives, nothing will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Paul says this is hard times. We don't understand it all. We're going to have some difficult circumstances. We're not all going to escape bad things in this world. But God's with us. And he loves us. And he gives us the strength that we need. He will sustain us through whatever it is that we're going through. And Paul understands this. He went to prison. He was tortured. He was killed for his faith. And what kept him sane was his relationship to God. So this faith of Shadrach and Meshach and Abednego, this faith of Esther, this faith of Paul is this this real personal relationship that even when the escape doesn't come, God is here with us. This is some of the hardest part about being a follower of Jesus. Right, where we sit and we wait and we pray and we see other people get answers to their prayers in ways that we want, but, but sometimes we don't get that. We don't escape. The people that we love don't escape hardship in this life. And if you're like me, I yearn for this faith of Paul. I yearn for this faith of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. I yearn for this faith of Esther to say, you know what? I'm not going to escape this earthly circumstance, but God's with me, and that is enough. And I love God. And God understands this, right? There's another person who didn't have an earthly escape, and his name is Jesus, the Son of God himself, right? He, he says, I don't want to go to the cross. Is there any way to get me out of this? But he went to the cross anyway, and he died, right? He was tortured. He was betrayed. He was, he was abandoned by his friends. He did not escape the cross because he loves you and me, and he wanted us to be able to be in a right relationship to God. And so when we're trapped and we can't escape, 
then we can take comfort in knowing that the God who is with us also understands what it's like to be stuck and to be trapped because he was on the cross. But he came back to life. He defeated death. Right? He gives us life to the full now, and he gives us heaven. And even when we are stuck and can't escape, we can still have a life that has fullness in it. So what's the point today? What, what's the big idea? What's the takeaway? I think it's important. I think it's this. God is with us even when there is no escape. I wish I could tell you that there's a way out for every situation in the world, but I'd be lying to you. Right? I've already named about a million things where we just can't escape, but the good news is we're not alone and God is with us. God is with us even when there's no escape. This is one of the hardest truths of the faith. Right? But remember Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Remember Esther. Remember Paul. Remember Jesus. Having God with us can be enough, right? even when there's no escape. So what can we do about this, right? This is what I advise you to do. An action step is, right, cling to God's presence when you're trapped, right? Reach out. Say, God, I need you. I don't know why I'm not being rescued, but I need to know you're here with me like you were with Esther and you were with Daniel and you were with Paul and you were with, with Jesus himself, right? Cling to God's presence. Say, God, I, I need you to be with me. I need to feel you. I need to know that you're with me in the midst of this, right? That you're still working to bring goodness into my life, even though I can't see it, right? Cling to the presence of God. Where are you trapped in your life right now? Where are you trapped and there's no escape? So our, our relative Jeff that was born with cerebral palsy, not able to move most of his body, not able to speak much, kind of trapped in his body, right? Supposed to live to the age of 13. Because of his, the love of his parents and his two brothers that were born later, right, he lived to be 48 years old. It was amazing, right? And it was beautiful, and, and they loved him. And his parents literally fed him every spoonful of every meal he ever ate. Changed his diaper when he was a kid. When he was a grown man, they had to take him to the bathroom, change him, right? Just, just imagine all that's involved in that, right? He became a Boy Scout. and He graduated from high school. They took him on trips to the ocean and to the mountains. And these are people of little means, blue-collar workers, right? Barely making it to get by. They made him a priority in his life. And so in his life, he went to church, and he loved God. And even though he had all these challenges, he still lived a life that was so very full. Had the service a couple weeks ago and worshiped God and gave God thanks and praise for Jeff's life. And Jeff was such a, a beautiful kid. He was even able to, to say in his own way to, to people around him, I, I love you with all of my heart. And when he died he had agreed to be an organ donor. And the only thing that they could really salvage from him uh, were his eyes. He had perfect vision, perfect eyes, beautiful blue eyes. And so there's someone walking around the world today who can see because of his heart giving the blast that he could give, right? And so his parents loved him. His brothers loved him. Right? He lived a life that was full. And I know that he's with God in heaven right now and, and all that joy, but there's still a part of me that's mad and, and angry that he had to live in a wheelchair like that, that he couldn't communicate, that he saw his brothers, right, fall in love and run and play and, and play football and have kids and get married and all that kind of stuff. 
Right? He, he, he at time had suicidal thoughts in his life. And who could blame him? Right? Trapped in the body and seeing all that was going on. and It's, it's just hard. And then, on top of that, right, he died of cancer. And the cancer was long. And the cancer was hard. And the cancer was nasty. He had one of the worst deaths that we've ever seen in our entire life. Like, why is that? You talk about someone that has no escape at all, did nothing to deserve this. And I wrestle with that. But he loved God. His family loved God. They still went to church. They still prayed. At his funeral, they praised God. Because God was with Jeff, and God was with them, and God is with them now, and brought goodness into their lives, even though there was so much that he didn't escape. And that's the witness of faith that I would strive to have in my life. And if you feel trapped, if you have no escape, it's okay to be mad as hell. It is okay to be mad. But don't let it rob you of the gift that God is with us, that God is with us even when there is no escape. Cling to the presence of God in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Let us pray together. God, today we come to you as people who are conflicted, we love and trust you, God, but we're also angry and we don't understand everything. When sometimes there's escape for people and sometimes they're not, God, it's just hard to really wrap our heads around that. And so thank you, God, for letting us be upset about that and have questions about that. And thank you that we're going to go out here today, God, and we won't have it all solved in our minds and that that's okay. But also, God, thank you that you love us and that you're with us even when there's no escape, that you understand what it's like. When you went to the cross yourself, there was no escape, but you took comfort in knowing the Father and the Holy Spirit were with you. So God, I pray for those who are trapped. I pray for those who cannot escape. I pray for those in our congregation, to those who are watching, to those around the world, God, that if you can, choose to give us liberation. And when it doesn't come, God, help us to know that you are with us and that we are not alone. And we beg, Lord, that you would give us faith like Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego, Esther, Paul, and even Jesus himself. God, help us as we wrestle with this in our lives. In the holy name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.